Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, barbecuers of all ages, Cowboy Cav here welcoming you to the Man Meat Barbecue Show with your host, Mikey K. Man Meat Barbecue is brought to you by Myron Mix and Smokers. Are you a caterer, a competitor, a barbecue enthusiast? Myron Mixon has the smoker for you. Check out all their styles at MyronMixonSmokers.com. And don't forget to tell them Mikey K sent you. Do you enjoy this podcast, our blogs? Well, join our growing community of friends over on Patreon and help support your favorite barbecue podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube page for lots of videos on different styles of barbecue, different recipes, and the entrepreneurship of barbecue. And now, here's your host, Mikey K. Out with Jimmy, if you don't know who he is, um, he is the owner and um, I guess you're kind of the voice of it too, right? Of Primitive Pits. Um, you guys do you guys do a really cool um, YouTube channel where you you're, you're educating a lot of people on smokers, which I think is really really cool. Um, you just did a um, a video not too long ago about firebox sizes, which I found really, really, really interesting because I, I think a lot of people always have that question of like, what size should my firebox be if I'm building a, building a smoker for this and this? And I mean, you're the man to ask, right? You're building some beautiful pits. Well, I wasn't the man for a long time. And, uh, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, the, the whole thing about building smokers is, uh, a lot of what I find out, even from the big guys who are building smokers, is a lot of it was done by just looking at a box and saying, this should smoke barbecue good. If you can kind of figure out where the heat's going and where the convected air is going, but there's so much more to it. And, you know, I started out with rental smokers, and that's how, uh, well, I left the music industry and went into the restaurant industry and then went to the rental industry, and catering um, was what really taught me about what smokers do in different environments and when you start to talk about a firebox you know we really didn't have a good handle on what was going on uh scientifically until we paid a firm to come in and do computational fluid dynamics cfd and uh we won't let that information out because it cost me way too much money and my wife would strangle me if i just started telling people but um I i wish a lot more manufacturers of smokers and fabricators would actually take a deep dive into this because um, there's very few people that kind of have a grasp of what heat does, what the outside air temperature does to your firebox, and more importantly, what the outside air temperature does to your smokestack. That's a big, huge, what we learned through CFD, uh, which stalls the draw, which slows the draw, cold air presses hot air down. But no, I mean, I guess uh, the firebox is an interesting topic. You know, we get, I think Ashley in our office gets, uh, she's counted 50 to 100 emails, messages on Instagram every week of people building their own backyard cookers and building stuff. And, you know, I used to answer all those, but right now it's like, and I've fallen asleep in bed, laying in bed, typing a message and woken up four hours earlier with the message up. And I just don't have time, don't have the capacity, but. There's a lot of information out there, but computational fluid dynamics, the idea that we have is giving you a little bit more firebox, and um, when I say giving you a little bit more, a lot of the manufacturers have gone on this thing, and I'll go on the record and say that the Felden calculator has caused 
it caused me problems. Um, and I don't know if the guy's uh, still practicing alive or whatnot, but I'd love to have a debate with him. I think it was a good start, but for building a firebox in a chamber and a smokestack, I think the key is um, looking at some different variables, and they're really based upon, uh, you know, 30 or 40 things versus, you know, one thing. But I honestly believe that uh, half the fireboxes that I see are way too small, not in diameter, but just short. 20 inches is, that's hard to manage a fire, and that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. I think sometimes when you're looking at different uh, different smokers, even if they're not uh, commercial units like what you guys are building, where they're a lot larger, or, I mean, I guess a backyard guy could have the 250, right? Um, right. That would work. Oh, yeah, we got plenty of, plenty of them that have. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just thinking of your 500s and 1,000 yeah. gallons. Those, those are starting to get big. I mean, you're not cooking – um, you're, you're not cooking just for the family on those. Uh, no, they're more forgiving. I mean, that's the whole thing, Mikey, is oh, that yeah. if you start to look at those bigger smokers, the problems start to dissolve and go away. When you get into a thousand gallon smoker, it's a forgiving smoker. Now, if you got the firebox and smokestack in the wrong spots, you have to learn, you know, kind of where hot spots are and all. So yeah, you get a little small, like we used to make this smoker called the babe and and we discontinued it because we were dealing with different size tanks, these 120 gallons down to 100 gallon, even 130 gallon tanks. And everyone we'd get, I didn't want to let out the door because I, it was different than the last one. The 500 and the 250 and the 1000, we find those to be, I mean, when we measure the diameters of them before we actually bring them to our yard, they're spot on. They're all about the same steel. They're about the same diameter, same length, so they're more consistent. But they are more forgiving the bigger they are. That's uh, that's what I was actually saying in a previous podcast was uh, we were chatting about, you know, when you start getting into bigger smokers and you start moving into um, the bigger and bigger smokers, they tend to become easier to manage. Uh, and I think that a lot of people – have this idea of when they first start barbecuing, uh, I'm going to go buy whatever I can afford. And that makes sense, right? Uh, they're going to go out to Home Depot or wherever, and they're going to pick up that little offset Brinkman smoker that, you know, is going to leak like a sieve. Um, and they're going to have a hard time managing that, that firebox. Right. And I think that's what pushes people away sometimes where they're like, I can't figure this out. There's just, it's just too hard. And then they go into those, you know, they go into the pellet smokers because it's just a push button and it's a lot easier, you know, or you go into your gas smokers because you're just setting a temperature. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I do this, uh, because I absolutely love barbecue. I really do. I love the whole, yeah. I love the whole theme of barbecue, but more importantly, I love live fire cooking. Um, I, if, if there was no such thing as burning sticks and, you know, it was all about pellets or gas. I, I probably wouldn't be as interested in it. But um, I love great food. I love, you know, I've seen you put up on Instagram some of this this wagyu stuff, and I yeah. love experimenting with great meat and going to eat, have great experiences. And uh, of course, I am a, a big barbecue fan. But I love cooking with fire. I love the, the, the connection to DNA that's two million old, two million years old, and yep. I love the, the, the meddling with fire. I mean, I probably would have been more impatient in my 20s, uh, even, even though I did cook, I did more whole hog stuff and did more brick pit stuff. 
but um, I'd be more impatient and probably wouldn't really enjoy it as much as I do now, but I thoroughly enjoy it. I could sit there and just watch fire for 15 hours. And it's just, like there's something about it, the right? Yeah, it is, it's, it's therapeutic fun. for me. Yeah, and every single time I cook barbecue, every single time for the last 20 years, I put a notepad beside me because uh, that has helped me build pits is just notating. I've learned so much about fire. and um, I mean, I see so many people that buy pits, rent pits that understand it to different gr- degrees. And I learned so much stuff from them. And some of them may be r- rarely new novices and some of them may be very skilled, but um, it's just so much knowledge to learn. Yeah. Now, when you guys, when you first started building your pits, what were some of the, when you like envisioned it, you were like, did you always know you were going to kind of go with the stick burner offset cooker or did you kind of ever decide to make, you know, either cabinet smokers or anything like that? Was that ever on your radar or is it on your radar for further down the road? Very good question. It's kind of like we talked beforehand, but we didn't. Um, in 1994, um, I built a cabinet, we'll call it a cabinet smoker out of a refrigerator with another guy. And um, my dad was still alive at the time, and I just was pumped on this. And from 1994 until 1999, um, a horizontal offset was not even, it wasn't in the conversation because I was dead set that cabinet smoking was the way to go. Um, It was not until the cabinet smoker that we built out of this refrigerator, which, by the way, I've spent probably 10 hours over the last two weeks in my time off trying to resurrect a VHS tape that I finally found that has, in 1994, I documented the video of building this smoker. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, the tape was in, um, I actually just had it here on my desk. The tape was in a case, and it's molded and uh, well it was just right here it's molded and I, it took me forever to get it to even clean the mold off but anyway I'm gonna show you that cabinet smoker one day but um, that's kind of where I started and I still love it I still have thoughts about that old refrigerator it's an old frigidaire and um, on the bottom of it you know I'd put coals and heat it up and I'd had a burn barrel and then I'd put like a rack with with chips, like I would put apple wood and, and apple sauce and apple uh, juice and just trying to figure out what, you know, makes the best uh, meat. And I was doing a lot of wild game at the time. So I would do like backstrap deer on the bottom and all the way up to the top, the lighter meat. But it wasn't until 99 until I, uh, I had a friend of mine who also the one to introduce me to brisket the way Texas is cooking it back in just probably like the early 90s, 93, I think it was. And I saw his smoker, and that was the day I went, oh, you know, that's pretty good. That's a pretty cool way to cook meat. And he explained to me about how hot air and convection cooks as, uh, as good as radiant, you know, the radiant heat, which you get some of that out of a cabinet smoker, but you get it from the bottom. And yeah. across a brisket, going across it aerodynamic is, is really, it's proven, especially in Texas and everybody that's doing that Texas style proven to put out a really good quality now for other cuts you know that's that's a debate but for brisket um beef ribs um i really like the the offset but i started uh, my first smoker was i built a brick pit 
And then in 94, we built the, uh, uh, the refrigerator, which it's down on Rollins Blue Cypress Ranch in Yeehaw Junction, Florida. And uh, I'm going to go down there soon and just check it out and see, see how, it, how it looks. See, see how, how the years have I have hope they've it. used it. I hope they've used it, or maybe I hope they haven't used it and I can take it back with me. I really I want mean, it. Right? That, that, that's kind of the double-edged sword. It's like I hope they got good use out of it because you, you, as a barbecue dude, you always want people barbecuing. But at the end of the day, you're kind of like, well, if they don't use it, maybe I can steal it back. <laughs> yeah, and the crazy thing is, is like I don't know if if my palate was any good back, you know, however long that was, twenty five years ago. I don't know how long it was, um, but I'll t- tell you this: we made pork ribs on it two different occasions where I was like, "This is the best bite I've ever had." So I know for at least that the cabinet smoker, and I thought about like making an offset, but I had. Uh, you know, I had a burn barrel and I would put coals in and then I would use briquettes and, and charcoal. Um, but even back then I was, I was really about burning wood and just using coals. It got a little hot because it, that's an insulated refrigerator. So it'd get a little hot. You had to really tame it. You didn't need much coal to kind of really, you know, push through. And my smokestacks were four little, uh, I'm going to say they were probably not even an inch pipes on the top and i just didn't understand you know you need airflow yeah you need yeah and the the baffle i built was a was a square baffle and it actually just lifted up like a door like a train like a train signal and you know i'd rather probably reconfigure that but it worked you know there's it's crazy how learning airflow helps so tremendously i think once you learn that um I have, you know, a lot of people are like, what's the key, you know, what's the key to good barbecue? It's like, honestly, learning good airflow is a huge key to good barbecue, making sure that you have that nice clean smoke going over that, over that meat and it's not pillowy or it's not, you know, it's not full of soot. Um, yeah. I, it's very, it's very important. And I don't think people think about that quite enough. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with barbecue on the clean smoke issue is that people, don't know their wood, and if it's wet, it's going to be acrid smoke, and it's going to be hard to tame. Uh, I mean, wet wood is good if you're trying to put some smoke in your meat, but you want to have that wood density um, to be seasoned. And you know, there's that debate: what's the best season? I I personally don't really like kiln dry wood because it doesn't provide, you know, it doesn't really provide much other than a heat source. Um, the smoke comes from that like post oak it comes from that tree that's fallen and maybe sat there a year then cut up and it was seasoned again cut up maybe five six months those are kind of like when i go to texas and deliver or when guys go down there we'll have them bring back post oak or even with white oak which is a little bit different the sugars are a little bit different it's a little bit more lighter denser wood but um that's kind of you know how I try to gauge the smoke, and sometimes I'll actually put a piece of wood in, and my mind's telling me, "Hey, this is acrid. It's a little puffy. It's a little plumy," and I have confidence that it's not. And sometimes the bigger piece of wood I have, I have to give away a little bit and compromise maybe that first uh, six, seven minutes where it's going, where it's not quite combusted or not hot enough. But once it gets going, it's fine, and it's kind of like a miniature cold smoking theory. But I'm not, you know, I'm not the world's best barbecue guy, but uh, 
I'll tell you one of the things that r- r- really interests me is that people that buy smokers, um, they don't understand that the best airflow in an offset is not in, you know, you don't have that, that, uh, you know, experience. You're not going to know that most people think, Hey, right in the very front near the firebox is going to be this huge wave of, of air. It actually, you know, it needs momentum to get going and you actually get past, let's say a 500 that's got, or let's say a thousand gallon that's got four doors. You really get that momentum going past the second door going towards the smokestack. That's where the hot air is really going, where you can feel it hitting your hand up near the firebox is more radiant. And that's, um, also taught me too about, you know, what wood to use and how to remove some of the, the acrid, uh, you know, the acrid smoke or the dirty smoke, they call it, but just kind of trying to figure out what wood's going to work good, catch, combust, and really put a lot of airflow on the back half of the meat. Now, of course, you want to cover it all, but I mean, sometimes with those little smokers, you can, you know, you're, you're just getting the airflow going about a quarter way into the grade. And, that, and I think that's kind of like you said earlier, the bigger the smoker, a little bit easier it is to uh, yeah. con- not con- control and just I mean, feel out and learn. It's insane. Um, I've had this conversation with a couple different pit makers. It is just like every pit kind of has a mind of its own. You know what I mean? At least, at least for what we're doing, the yeah. all the guys that are building liquid propane tank smokers, uh, they can't uh, put a, a, a fingerprint or a uh, you know a uh, a burn pattern. You know, uh, I don't know how to explain it other than. You know, in the music business, we had a microphone that was built. When you got the microphone, you opened it up, and there was a chart or a scale of what the microphone's frequencies were going to be, no matter who was talking into it. Yep. And it's the same thing with the smoker, except for, you know, when you're building the liquid propane tank, they're they all going to be a little different, you know, manufacturer. And uh, we like to get one of five manufacturers because we feel like we've dialed into those. And that's all we did. We get one of the five manufacturers. We go through the yard and try to find those. Um, but that's the whole reason is because of liquid propane tanks, you have these inconsistencies, and we're trying to remove that. Now, our new company, Workhorse, the reason we're building a pipe smoker is because uh, we figured out a lot with this new throat, and we really have discovered kind of how to make that pipe smoker burn really even and i i've been i'm putting out great barbecue i mean i'm putting out stuff that you know i would even say is a little bit better than the babe smokers the small ones that we've put in it's just not better it's just i can put meat in different places and i mean it's like consistent it's mm-hmm. which is awesome so i want to i kind of would love to go down this path with you say somebody's looking for their first smoker and or maybe not their first smoker, but like they're looking for to upgrade their smoker to, to either a stick burner or to something like that. What are some questions that people should be asking that aren't being asked? Well, or I maybe think, that does well, not maybe that aren't being asked, but that won't you know necessarily somebody wouldn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's um, you know I worked in the music industry for twenty six years, so every analogy kind of goes back to that. And I've played music my whole life, you know, as far as that goes but when you learn how to play a guitar if somebody gets you a guitar and the strings are an inch away from the fretboard it's not really possible for a a kid a seven eight nine ten year old even a teenager to press those strings down and to form a chord uh 
And there's no difference between buying a smoker. If you have this romanticism with cooking barbecue in your backyard with wood and a stick burner, then that's great. One way to ruin it is go get a smoker that is too thin of a wall. That's number one. Number two is you can pretty much find anything out there as far as smokestack mounting and and get away with it. You can have one that's mounted on the top and it's only, you know, three inches, or you can have one that's mounted great level and it's four and a half inches compared to your 40, excuse me, 40 inch chamber. And that's not going to be, that's not going to be your, you can get away with that. Um, But it's just the thinness of the metal and the insulation and what the cold air temperature or hot air temperature does to your smoker. And, and, and if these thin walls that I've seen in some of the department stores, I look at them and go, there's no way. I mean, yeah, you could set up on an 80 degree day and, you know, have no outside, uh, you know, influence and probably get away with it. But every single day, the consistency factor is you'd like to have at least a quarter inch of steel, um, and you can also go on the reverse side of that and have too much steel, and it causes problems. Like I see guys that, you know, up on the Facebook and forums that say, "Hey, I'm going to make a firebox out of half-inch steel." Well, good luck getting that thing hot because it might take you six to seven hours to get a really good hot firebox that burns even. So, you know, quarter-inch, um, uh, three-eighths inch. Any higher than three eighths inch, you know, if you're especially if you're in up where you guys are in the northern yeah. part of the country, you know, if you want to cook during the winter, but that's the biggest influence. And doors leaking, um, you know, we used to seal our doors, uh, food grade, um, you know, high temp sealant, and I quit doing it because I found the units burned a lot better and more even because it, it's basically escaping some of that heat that is not being able to get out of the smokestack. So I quit being afraid of, of that. So if you got if you buy one in a department store and it leaks a little bit, then that's not horrible. If it's, you know, one-eighth inch steel, then you're probably, you're going to have a hard time putting out, you know, Great good barbecue. barbecue. Yeah. That, that is, I, I think that's, um, that was like, when I was looking for a pit for, for, um, my barbecue company, we, one of the biggest things was, you know, is it an insulated pit? Is it not mainly because we cook year round, you know, right. and it gets cold here. <laughs> right. Yeah. This winter and, it got cold there. I, I have customers up there and minus 14 was definitely a little cold for, uh, being outside and hovering over a smoker. Yep. And, uh, but it, 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 you don't understand, like most people don't understand what that does. How much more wood, how much more fuel you actually have to use to get, you know, on the firebox working the way it needs to. Right. Yeah, we, we learned, we had a computational fluid dynamics lesson number one right off the bat within the first month. You know, this, these are guys from, you know, this is a NASCAR team. You know, this is, they look at, you know, they're engineers that, uh, from Georgia Tech that look at race cars and drafting. And the very first thing we're like was talking about, you know, I was interested to know what an insulated and a semi-insulated firebox presented to a cook. And, oh, there was so much chatter and opinion about it, and I had my own opinion about it. And 
I kind of came from the school of, uh, I actually agree with Aaron Franklin, that semi-insulated firebox kind of breathes a little bit. And at the same time, I was like, well, okay, if you get a smoker that's going to go to the cold climate, you're going to want an insulated firebox. And then we get to the computational fluid dynamics, and the engineer looks at it and goes, well, you have to shut the door for both of them to even be measured. So you got a fully insulated firebox, you can't have the door open. If you got a semi-insulated firebox, you got the door completely closed before you can start to even measure because all the heat, the, the backflow heat, um, it evens out the playing field. And, um, you know, that's kind of why we're playing around with side baffles and we're playing around with some other air intake methods because, uh, you know, it, it's always been kind of my theory is just leave the door cracked. I've made great barbecue with the door cracked and even wide open during cooks. But um, that's kind of, you know, as far as the technical aspect, that's kind of what we're trying to dial into is, is uh, you know, what's a good, especially for a guy that doesn't want to spend you know, two grand. Can you yeah. go to Home Depot? Can you go to Home Depot and Academy and spend two hundred and ninety-nine dollars and get a smoker that is going to, uh, you know, that's going to be consistent and cook great brisket every time? Well, can you go to a, you know, a car lot and buy a, you know, a quarter price of a of a vehicle, a truck, and and expect it to, you know, be a a monster? Still work? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean. That's that's the whole, you know. Are there people out there cooking barbecue consistently with one eighth one eighth inch uh, steel and uh, a smoker that may have come from you know one hundred ninety nine dollar smoker from from a you know big box? I I doubt it. I would love to meet that person. And and of course, you know, in the audio engineering world of making records, you could probably give some of these great engineers that have made. Tons of I know some of them. You can probably give them a you know a piece of junk mixer and minimal equipment, and they can make great stuff out of it. But it's degraded, and but that doesn't that's mean my it, point. Yeah, that doesn't mean that it's uh, the way they want to do it, or no. um, or it's going to necessarily give them the best result that they wanted, right? Like they right. could have made they could have done something a lot crazier. And that's and that's just kind of uh, a sad part of about barbecue. We want to introduce as many people. I mean, since 1978, the barbecue business industry has been on a straight up. You know, it's just been growing and growing and growing. Um, and I remember my late father pointing out this. Oklahoma. We went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. My sister went to school there. And I never forget, as long as I live, laying my eyes on a very first offset smoker. And... I was like, where do you put the meat? <laughs> no idea. And, you know, where we've come is like, it's really been not pushed by competition and scientific, uh, you know, and, and technology, I guess, is just now coming in the mix the last 10 years. But it's like the cell phone industry, the, the smoker industry doesn't have that pressure. So you've got companies that are able to put stuff out that's made cheaply with poor quality and poor materials and people are buying it and and it's so sad because i you go on craigslist and you go on facebook marketplace and people are giving away this stuff because it's like you know it's a, totally useless we, we couldn't get anything to cook on it and if you had a really good piece of steel you had some decent wood you're going to put out some pretty good barbecue if you can keep the fire managed now if you yep. go off and watch ball game and you let your fire go from 
275 down to 125 for 30 minutes. No, but I mean, if you can sit there and you can feed the fire and move the coals, you're going to come out with some pretty good results. I don't care what you're cooking. I think you're going to come out with some pretty decent results. I think that is one of the hard things is, is making sure that you are, um, I know, I know with, with a lot of my cooking and stuff like that, um, you got to make sure you stay on top of it. Got to make sure you stay on top of that, that fire and manage it properly. Uh, you know, there's always those small little swings. People always ask me like, well, what temp do you like cooking at? I like cooking at 250, 275. If I go up to 275 during it, during a little bit, cause the fire gets a little too big. I'm okay with that. If I go back down to, you know, 250 because the fire got a little bit too small and I needed to stoke it a little bit more. I'm okay with that too. As long as I'm in that 25 degree range, it's when you start having those crazy, you know, upswings and downswings, you go down to, you know, you go down to, uh, like you said, 185 and then crank it back up to 275. It's a that meat is getting hit really hard. It just, it's not, it's not being massaged. I've I've got over here to my left. I've got notebooks, and I've got all these notebooks here, and they have all my notes of of cooks, and I keep them kind of an unorganized pile down there, per per the smoker. And the crazy thing is, is I'll see these these um, you know I'll see these notes in there where I fell asleep and lost. You know, I actually fell asleep this Christmas around December. Um, I call my buddies and. <laughs> I told him, I said, I fell asleep for four hours. And, uh, of course, I lost part of the brisket. But, um, you know, it's I just was exhausted. I don't stay up late. But I've got notes in to indicate where I lost control of my fire management. And I can pinpoint that's why the product wasn't good. And then I yep. can also go back in the last six months. And I don't cook as much as I used to. But I've got notes where I really was able to manage it, had really good product as far as I had, you know, high choice or prime brisket in there. Um, I felt like the wood was good and, um, you know, my family and friends that, you know, I'll cook a couple briskets at a time, you know, they rave about it. And I, I think it's great. It's moist and it has, you know, everything I wanted out of the brisket, but I've, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, matter of fact, I've tried to get into the other smokers. I've sat in front of the Kamado Joe's and green eggs 50 times going, I'm just going to buy one. I'm just going to buy one. But the thing is, if I'm going to go through the routine of smoking barbecue, I want to go really the, the way the horizontal or, or brick pit or, or block pit, cook a whole yeah. hog or just turn on my gas grill and be done with it. And I, I mean, I did that, you know, I did that tonight, turn on the gas grill, do a piece of tuna down there, done. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go do a, uh, you know, I'll do a, I will cook a steak or something on the, on the gas grill and it, it is what it is. But then when I pull out the mesquite and light a fire and, you know, get one of our new workhorse fire pits out there and with the, you know, the raisable grill and I'm sitting there feeling the heat and I feel like I'm Tom Perini out there going, okay. And the thing is, when you're done, it's like, wow. And it's mineral. That's kind of what I like about it. And, you know, whether it takes 20 minutes longer than my wife expects or, you know, our guests are waiting around and whatever, it's, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you on that. Um, There's just something, live fire cooking is just, it's different, right? It's fun. Yeah, it is now, a lot of fun. It's 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 more to me right now. Um, 
it's it's more coming around to where it's going to find its way um, with like the International Live Fire Society, whatever. It's going to find when those people contacted me about this competition, I was like, that's where it's going to go. There's going to be people sitting out there playing field. It will be completely even now when you have just wood and fire and meat. And now it's a competition of kind of, you know, man versus wild. And it's going to be something I think it's going to even the playing field. And, and now, competition. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Now, have you guys sent any pits kind of like way above sea level and stuff like that and ever had any ever have any problems with them? And I'm not really saying problems in, in a sense of like that your pit was, you know, manufactured incorrectly, but just just because of the airflow. Um, that's always something that I think about when I'm cooking in different places is you know, where am I at in fat? Like how thin is the air? You know what I'm saying? And that, that always plays a factor. So I that's a that'd great be a question. Cool question. That's, that, that is a great question. And that is something that, um, as we started building pits more and more, um, we've got Brian Furman, who's the food and wine, 2019 food and wine chef of the year, James Beard nominee. He's one of our customers. He's going to Aspen, to the food and wine festival in June. And we've been putting a lot of thought in what happens. We've sent pits up there and, you know, we've had pits out there. We've even got a customer with a a babe out there. And I don't have enough feedback to know that at, you know, a mile high or or 10,000 feet high, what it does, does it still draw and ignite wood in the firebox? Yes. But, the weight of how hot air and cold air meet and maybe backdraft or go down the, the, the smokestack is something that I, you know, I've Googled and spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I don't know exactly. I'd like to go out there with Brian and actually just sit there and, and, you know, we can just watch the, the cook and you can kind of tell, but uh, I would assume being that the air, you know, with the, with the higher, elevations is going to be thinner i i would assume you're not going to get that much you know you're 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 not you may get a little bit of a swing but you probably you're not going to get that much of a difference where i think it's going to affect deep um you know the the horizontal that's a thousand gallons it's a 16 foot great i don't think you're going to really affect that um i might be wrong but any scientists out there that want to (laughs) <laughs> Prove them wrong. Go for it. Yeah. Well, we we covered computational fluid dynamics, and one of the things that I never knew is when we sat down, they said, "Okay, we're gonna have to make a variable list." I'm okay, sure. I, you know, we're gonna. And we even mentioned sea level. We mentioned what the cook altitude was, but they're only talking about cooking in ten seconds. Well, what about the other fifteen hours? No, we're gonna cover ten seconds because when you throw a piece of wood in there, we need to know what the density and the moisture of that wood is. What angle you put the wood is, is the firebox door open? What's the barometric pressure? And then as it burns down, you reintroduce another piece of wood, and that's a different piece of wood. You're starting all over. The variable is back to zero. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I never thought about it that way. So when you start talking about high altitude, I I, I want to believe, and I don't want to fall into the trap of one of those guys, oh, it should work. I want to <laughs> believe and, until you're – 15, 20, unless you're up on top of A Basin in Colorado, I don't think you're going to have 
a huge. You're going to have barometric pressure is going to be an issue there because you, and the humidity. You're not going to get as much. You know, yeah. the humidity. That's going to be and humidity makes great barbecue. That I mean, that's one of the things that I I cook on a uh, Myron mix and H two O smoker, right. and that's one of the things that I love about it is is there's so much moisture in it. Um, it just does, does that unit farm in moisture because I saw one uh, over uh, Atlanta grilling just uh, I guess back in December, and does it farm in? Does it does, can you put like a a water pan that farms in moisture into the smoker? A mister. So. so um, not necessarily a mister, but basically what it is, the, the way his smoker is built is there is the fireboxes underneath it, right? And then you have a giant water pan, and then you have all your grates on top. So it's kind of almost like a cabinet smoker, but not fully. Um, right. And the way it works is, you know, the heat goes over over the water pan, and usually the water is boiling the entire time, which is constantly throwing air – throwing moisture into the air right so that that's the beautiful thing about it it also the other nice thing that i love about it is when we're cooking in the cold and if i open the doors to either add something or pull something off my recovery time is super quick because that water pan sitting at 212 you know the whole time so right. even though even though you open the doors let all that hot air out you close it that water right away is you know just pushing into it, so it's not. It, it's re- kind of awesome. It recaptures the the, the water. Yeah, temperature already recaptures that air inside there. Right. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah, I've never, I've never. I've seen them. I've seen a couple of them. Uh, Atlanta grilling here in Atlanta or North Atlanta Roswell. They carry that the Myron mixing line. Um, and I was going to go down there when they had their grand opening of their new store, and I think he was down there doing some demonstration, but I never did, and I should because. You know, there's a lot to learn. I've learned, you know, I used to have, I used to own a reverse flow at one time. And, and now I, I kind of have gone away against the reverse flow based upon my personal theory. And I have, you know, I'm pretty vocal about it. But at the same time, um, I have a method that my reverse flow, I could, I was talking about Brian Furman not too long ago. There's a way you can cook some really good barbecue. It's just a lot of people are forced into thinking the reverse flow is a crutch. You can load it with a wood, get it hot as could be, get it roaring, and then kind of baffle control it. But if you go about it like a horizontal, um, and you really you try to maintain a good fire, it, there's there's not a you know there's not a a switch on the reverse flow to okay I'm gonna go watch TV for a little while. It's just it's got some helper, you know, dampers and whatnot. It's got some help in the design of it, but you know, I can cook some good barbecue on a reverse flow. I'm not a reverse flow fan, but, uh, you know, I would love to be able to, you know, talk to these guys in the competition world to understand more what they're doing, because that's a whole different, that's just a whole different, do you, yeah. you do competitions, right? Do you do competitions? I don't, I don't, I don't, comp- I don't do competitions. Just ca- you just do catering. So you we cater, do, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go jump into the competitions thing one time, just... Because I, I just had a guy, John Hale, came in on a video blog, and he does the Jack Daniels and the KCBS. He's a, he's a MC yeah. and whatnot. He's like he's a friend of mine, and he's pro competition, and he's always hammering me about it. And he's like, it's a different deal. And and me, I'm like, you know, I'm like more of the restaurant experience guy. I want to go sit down and just be blown away. Wow, how did you know? How did they get this product like this? And the competition thing is, I think requires a little different cooker. I would. 
you know, I would have a hard time wondering how somebody could go and consistently win or even place with a offset burning a stick burner, but maybe they could. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm sure they, there are people that have done it. Um, uh, but I, I think the, the hard thing for me for competition is, uh, it, it I mean, anyone can beat you, even if their barbecue is not always better than yours. That's like my hard thing with judging, depending on what table they get put on. It, it, there's just so many variables in the in the way they're judged. Yeah, I don't like the assist feature in competition. Um, I mean, obviously, I think that you know you could you could have various types of smokers, but I think when you have temperature control and it's digital or however it might be, and you can set a temperature, I think that's kind of where to me competitions, I I lose interest and I'd rather see it be more about the technique of, of cooking and less about like, you know, I go push 275 and my pellet smoker and walk away. And then it cranks and then it blows up. Yeah. (laughs) but i mean i and and i i never want to come off like being a pompous but i'm an i'm a student i'm always a student and i would love to learn how to do the competition thing i want to know what the end product is and of course it's different for you know the judging in memphis and the judging in kansas city are going to be two different worlds but i just want to sit down with a panel of judges and figure out okay what do you guys look you know who are you where are you from what are you looking for? And then go in there and try to see if I can't get close. I probably can't. I mean, it's it's kind of different everywhere you go, right? And uh, that's the that's usually what's keeping those guys guessing is making uh, sure that they know know what you know what barbecue, what um, where they're at, and who should be judging what. Guys, give us one second. I think we might have glitched. Uh, but that's that's always like the hard thing in in uh, competition, right? You don't know what those judges are exactly looking for, right. and although they're told that they don't, they shouldn't have a predetermined judgment, and they should forget all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's pretty hard to forget your predetermined judgment on a taste bud, right? Yeah, uh, at least I think it is. And it's it's really interesting to me the people that have i'll tell you what i've learned a lot just kind of watching on the outside of building smokers you get to know people and i don't know these guys at all but the shed down in uh, mississippi yep if you've ever gone to the shed and eaten barbecue it's a great place great experience they have great food they can cook but they do it great at the restaurant and then they go off and win memphis in may and uh, i think they won memphis in may last year yeah yeah And, and they're always in these competitions and they understand the competition game jack the, the KCBS uh, steak cook-offs and you know they even hosted a cook-off here uh, on the steak side not too long ago and I just I think that that's like two different worlds I think you got to put yourself in a brain that you've got a customer coming in you want to wow them that's a that's a different product than you're going to go out there yep. and try to you know find out who are these judges where are they from oh she's from you know she's from Raleigh North Carolina well she's you know not going to want that sweet Kansas City yeah uh, bite yeah absolutely i i am i'm 100 percent down with that with you so when you decided to start making smokers and start doing all this stuff what would you say was your hardest thing to learn about the way your smokers work 
besides besides obviously you guys had you were smart and you had a team come help you <laughs> well what actually i did that five six years later uh my father-in-law my wife's dad was silly enough to come to my shop and we spent months building the first couple and and when i say months those are we built like we built two <laughs> <laughs> and uh it, it, to me i i it was a, a couple things it was the science of marrying the firebox to the smokestack hit me really quick you know if you put a if you put a firebox and mount it onto a chamber and it's two degrees or 0.125 this you know cocked to the right and you go put a, a smokestack and it's you know 0.19 you know over to the left well wherever you set that smoker if it's on a four percent grade or up on a hill those things are never talking to each other and one of the biggest things and it's not a secret i let it out of the bag is man when you get that stack and that firebox and you have the alignment they're both equal like we put lasers on them and when they both talk to each other, we put welds on them. And you've got to be careful welding. I mean, a lot of guys are like, let me see your welds. Well, if you're zipping a weld all the way around there, your firebox is starting to pull. So we're welding it like putting on a tire. So you can you can make sure that that integrity of your of your uh, level and your your design doesn't get off to where you've got you know all of a sudden you you've welded and you've pulled your firebox. So. That's the very first thing that I learned, and that was probably a good 30 smokers in. And I didn't really test that until about five smokers after that. Um, I built one because somebody had said, hey, the firebox and the smokestack, when you mount them, do they, are they equidistant with each other? And I was like, what are you talking about? And you know, it was a friend of mine and, and he's got a, a really good little, you know, operation as far as a barbecue thing. And, and he just said, Hey, you know, I, I'd like to be able to have, I think this matters. And about five smokers later, I took a 500 and I cooked on it, actually did a couple of events with it. And, uh, I was at Clemson, South Carolina at Denver Downs corn maze with, uh, one of our guys that worked not only in the restaurant, but he worked with us at, uh, the pits and, uh, I mean, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. We were out there jumping around. We we had figured out that was a key component. After about eight hours of a cook, we were dialed in, and we were even. We, You know, this is 25 smokers later. We're now burning within a couple degrees from one end to the other. And I was like, I wonder if this is a correlation. So then we tried it out again and then cooked a third time. And that third time on that rental unit, uh, that was the one – Thing, I felt like okay, we've got we've got something figured out. So let's do every one of them like that, and then we started seeing a consistent pattern. So that's kind of you know uh, the twenty five or twenty seven of the first smokers that I have. Um, I've almost wanted to go back to the people and they, their rental clients and their farms and a concert tour, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, a catering company that does corn mazes and. You know, I don't know if it's that critical um, to go back and, but I almost wanted to just go back and say, hey, let's just either redo your firebox and your smokestack, or let's just take the unit, switch it out. But it, it is, if you're building a backyard smoker, those are those are 
two components that you're going to win, win, win when you start to line those things up. And when I say you're putting on this, the firebox into the chamber, you want to make sure that there's no right to left, up and down. You want to put you know almost dead level, and you want to do the same thing and match it up with your smokestack. Now, you did start a YouTube channel not too long ago. Uh, I did what kind of what kind of made you made you launch that? Well, I had a camera from 1992 or three till uh, right now with me on. I mean, I've got stuff in the music business. Um, uh, we had recording trucks, these big broadcast trucks that would go out and record concerts and award shows and um, sporting event halftime shows and all that stuff. And I started recording stuff because I loved it. And I never wanted to be in front of the camera, ever. I wanted to be behind the camera. And, and as I got older and experienced more, I started thinking, yeah, I want to do something. So I actually started in 2006. I actually started with YouTube in 05 recording concerts back when they didn't have a couple hundred people on staff and um, we started officially in 06 really doing a lot more concert stuff and um, I started a channel based upon non-music stuff because that's kind of where my interests were my job was the music world and recording live shows and granted I loved it up until people quit playing live and Mm -hmm. I just I just really, you know, people knew me as the barbecue guy and, you know, I'd go to events and, and have a cooker with me or I started cooking and I just started really just started filming stuff. And, um, so I kind of started it and it really got popular. And then I said, I can't really do this and started building the pits. And that's when, um, you know, I started the rental company in, uh, about four years ago or five years ago now, and I was out on a rental, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to document just kind of what I see. And it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, a beer festival. And um, no good barbecue was being made that day. Everybody was trashed. And I thought, you know, I'm going to my, I'm bring my cameras, and I'm going to start documenting this stuff. So I started then, and I just took me a couple years to finally say, okay, I'm going to really do it. And it's, it's part of this thing. The reason I do it, Mikey, is it's a – it's a huge exercise for me because I'll look at a video and watch a video of a clip of a family video and go, Ugh, get me off, get me off the camera. You know, I don't like the way I sound, the way I look. So it's kind of one of those things where I want to do this because it takes a certain, I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin and I want to be able to say, okay, I'm going to put this up and I don't care what, you know, as long as the content's authentic and I genuinely yeah. care about it, I don't care. Matter of fact, it's like recording live records. I've never listened to any of them, not one. I mean, Leonard Skinner or uh, live Coldplay or any of that. I never went back and listened to anything I did. Um, I was afraid I was going to find huge mistakes, which I would um, sonically. And the crazy part is, is I do the same thing with these video blogs. My wife makes fun of me. She checks up on it. And I'm like, she goes, have you looked? I said, no, I don't. I upload it. I'm done. I'm back to work. But um, I started it just because I had a plethora of messages coming in on Instagram and Facebook and, and email about building. And I wanted to not be, you know, inconsiderate to people that have questions because I had questions and I started asking people. But I really am not that kind of person to, to bug somebody for their time. I more or less go bought me a couple tanks and dug in. 
And that's yeah. kind of how, how I approach it. But um, I was willing to risk that knowing that you know, I could blow myself up because I had no idea about the safety precautions that are very dangerous to cutting the tank open if you don't know what you're doing. And number two is uh, people really have a lot of information that they want and they want it quickly and especially opening up a restaurant. I opened up a restaurant with my wife and we had never worked, neither one of us had ever worked in a restaurant. And it, it was, uh, you know, to, to smack our, ourselves on the back, it was a very successful operation from a food truck all the way to when we sold it. And we sold it just based upon it. It wore us out. It's still to this yeah. day, it's extremely busy. So I built the channel to kind of answer the questions. The whole channel is about, you know, trying to cover the people and the, the things I'm interested in, the people and the, the technique and the tools of live fire cooking. It just gets into a little bit of restaurant 101 and barbecue 101. You know, there's 100 emails in our email box that I'm trying to go through with people saying, hey, I'm wanting to start a little operation, a catering thing on the side. I want to buy a 500-gallon. Is this the right size? Should I buy a 250? And, you know, they might end up going to buy a Mill Scale, a Moberg, a El Cucaracha, or go buy, uh, you know, Fat Stacks. They might buy somebody else's smoker. And, and I'm okay with that. But I want them to have the information where they don't lose their money and they can be successful. And that's genuinely, that's how I approach it. And I've had plenty of people say, hey, I'm going to go with this other guy. And I'm cool with it. But the information we give out is hopefully on this channel is, is useful. And that's yeah. that's the point of it. I know. I think I think it's a, I think it's a very cool channel, guys. If you don't, uh, if you've never checked it out, if you're not a YouTuber, make sure you definitely go check out his YouTube channel. There's a lot of cool information on there. Uh, if if you're nerdy, if you're a nerdy barbecue guy, you're gonna love it. And that's that's actually why I love. That's why I love yeah. your channel. I, I'm I I watch. Uh, I would have done better in school. Uh, if, if I could have done everything on YouTube and learned it, I'm not, I'm a visual guy. I'm reading it. I, I learned to read after I got out of college, you know, um, I'm somebody that can look at a video and grasp it really quick. And yeah. I, I actually, I, I nerd out on YouTube when I have the time. That's what I, I like doing is I just have always been, um, I just found a channel the other night, which I'm late to find some stuff, but I saw a podcast and it had a guy on there. I can't remember his channel, but um, the mad, the mad scientist or, or the mad barbecue scientist. And I mean, that guy's well-spoken. He's kind of like a voice actor. He does all these, and he, you know, he's, he's out there just throwing stuff in the smoker and saying, let's, let's, you know, let's figure it out. And if it's not good, he tells you, if it's not, I've watched three or four videos, but I like his authenticity. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of stuff. I typically, you know, I just watched Aaron Franklin's videos this December for the first time. And, um, I, you know, uh, I wish I'd have found those 10 years ago. Or, yeah, uh, they're good. There's, ago. there's some really good videos. He, he breaks some cool some stuff down Man, really, really nicely. And, and I'm all over the place. I watch all kinds of stuff on YouTube. But somebody said, have you ever watched Aaron's videos on YouTube? And I was like. No, nah, I never have, and, and I just got his book, and I haven't read through that. And I, by the way, I think you know what they do over there is fantastic. But I was like, got on there, and you know, here I am, eight videos into my vlog, and I see this guy's videos and go, well, I mean, well, you know, they're made with a production company, and there's, you know, the the PBS station there, or whatever is involved. But 
I'm sitting there going, wow, this is, you know, this is, this is good. But, um, no, I, I really enjoy it. I hope it's tutorials for, you know, the play on tutorials and yeah, cute. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I have some really good stuff coming in. I have some star power that's going to be on the channel that will help. And I've just, I've just not put it up because I don't want to be that guy that's like, okay, I'm going to use this guy to, cause you know, I built a smoker or two for some people that, um, you know, really could, could help the channel grow, but I don't, I'm not, I'm just making the channel cause I want to do it and I want to give out the information and the people that, that have asked us the questions, I'll send them, Hey, this is up, this is your answer. And, yeah. uh, that's kind of how it's, it started off. So I'm, I'm 15 videos in and my goal was when I sat down to start it in December of this past year, I said, I'm going to do at least 40 videos. So in, in the next year and I, you know, I do it all by myself. I don't have anybody. I edit it on my lunch breaks. The guys that I work with, they're like, you know, they send me over there with the laptop and, you know, I'm over there drinking a shake and, and editing the video and trying to get it all done. And when I come home at night, I don't hang out with my kids for a little while. Then when they go to bed, I'm like, you know, I'm falling asleep trying to finish up, you know, I don't try to spend too much time. Like I just put up like a seven minute video and that took more, and that took like four or five hours of editing in over course of a week. <laughs> so it's Yeah, it's def- crazy, right? And you just started, didn't you just start doing some YouTube we, stuff? We just, we just started our YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We're, we're trying to put out videos and I, I'm trying to do kind of an entrepreneurial type thing on Sundays where I, I talk about the pains and the struggles that we're going through as a, as a barbecue company, being a new barbecue company and, right. and stuff that people should, if they're thinking about, you know, starting, uh, starting a business in the barbecue world, like these are the questions you should be thinking about if you're not already, you know, I think that's, it's just stuff that like I'd want to see, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I'm. I'm with you. I mean, I, I hate to talk about my past based upon I don't want to discourage anybody. I had spent my whole career in the music industry traveling and, um, you know, we, our kids age are, are variable between, you know, young and old. And one of the things that I was concerned about at the restaurant is that me and my wife were being consumed by it. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people who'd be like, why would you sell a restaurant that's performing like it is? The answer is, is that, um, I got a taste of it. Uh, what, let's see, 13, almost three years. And the people who've owned it now have owned it longer than us. They're a big restaurant group. And they changed a lot of things that, you know, we thought were great about it as far as food quality, but I don't want to discourage anybody by saying, Hey, look, you know, we, we didn't we didn't quit we sold it and and uh well we did quit and uh, i still have a property here in coming georgia that's an old bait shop and i i'm going to post a picture of it one day and i really wanted to do a barbecue spot there but i just can't pull the trigger because i mean that's some long days some long nights but it's worth yeah. it if you love if you love culinary and you love food and you love making people smile there isn't a better yeah. You know, yeah. But if you spent your whole life being drug around the planet and served at the capacity I have, I just was like, you know, we started doing uh, Walking Dead, catering for Walking Dead. And I'll never forget coming in one morning after just a long night. And they're like, yeah, can you feed everybody at 1 a.m.? <laughs> 1 a.m.? 
what is this about? You know, that's and I went and did it because I couldn't ask employees to do it, but I went and did it with actually a couple guys. And but you know, that's those are the kind of things that you know. And then you got to be back ready for service. Doors open at eleven, so you're there at seven, and it's it's not easy, but the rewards are really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you guys, you guys do catering and you open a full restaurant. We we are not a full restaurant yet. That is the end goal. we do we do pop ups right now since the since the brewery scene is so big and the craft beer scene is so big up here. A lot of breweries just don't put in kitchens because they don't want that overhead and they don't want that responsibility. So what we'll do is we'll just pop up for a night at this brewery. We'll pop up at a night for another brewery and we just kind of make this rotation and we just show up and people are people are slowly starting to come out to like. You know, we're, we'll pop up at a brewery, and it's like people are coming out, and they're like, "We only came today because we wanted your food," which is That's pretty excellent. cool. You know yeah. what I mean? And then obviously, then they have they have a couple beers and they have whatever, but like the main reason they're there is because of us. So it's just like a great feeling when someone's like, "I love your food. I'm here because you're here." Yeah. You know, I think we're selling a lot of we're selling a lot of smokers to breweries and. Uh, they're calling us with no idea about the Texas barbecue scene, and I say Texas barbecue scene. That's kind of where our smoker fits into this, this yeah. Texas or Central Texas style brisket. And and uh, I bet you we've sold we've we've got two on the floor right now that are going to breweries, and um, you know the breweries are like, well, we we got people coming in that it's not our product. We're giving away revenue, and. Um, people really barbecue goes great with food. So you see that a lot. And we see a lot of guys buying like the 500 and their core business is like, we've got a really great one out there in Indianapolis. Uh, and of course he worked at Franklin's, uh, for a while or, uh, the, the, uh, old gold and they're in a brewery and they crush it. Cause you can go there and say, okay, I'm going to go taste brews and eat great barbecue. So I think it's, it's a good pair. It's a good combination. Yeah, no, it's been working really well for us. And a lot of it is like up here, space is just so difficult to get. Um, well, not, not necessarily it's difficult to get, but it's expensive. You know what I mean? Right. So a lot of the, a lot of the breweries tend to be either in smaller locations. Right. Or they kind of tend to be off the beaten path, which is, I, I think it's cool because it becomes a destination. And then you really, yeah. like people are really going there because they really want to go. Which I think is right. very cool. Yeah, I think there's definitely a combination of beer and barbecue that works just about anywhere in the United States. Yep. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of one of those things where it's uh, like pizza and beer. It, it you know it, it goes. It's yeah. not a it's not too hard to twist somebody's arm to go out and get some really good barbecue and a beer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to do it. It's not a good yeah. idea. That's a bad plan for Saturday. Uh, no, it's actually. It's a really popular. We've seen it. I guess we started selling uh, smokers to breweries, I guess, uh, two years ago, and uh, a year and a half ago. And their whole thing was is they had some guest pitmasters coming in. And uh, we've got one that's going up in Chattanooga to uh, Naked River Brewing, and they've got a really good pitmaster in there. And it's Chattanooga, Tennessee, right downtown, and I think they're going to do well, especially, you know, with the fact that they got a guy in there that can really cook barbecue. Yeah, that always helps. Uh, 
Now, yeah. if, if somebody wants to get a pit from you guys, kind of what what is the pro? How do you walk them through it? Like, what, what are the what well, are the processes? We we like to know that they have a good plan and have all the information. And um, you know, we're um, we're really pro uh, entrepreneur incubator. We sell them to guys like the twenty five, the new, the Texas Monthly top new or new twenty five. Uh, barbecue joints that was released today we've got a couple pit owners in that we've got some in the top 50 and so we've got guys that are experienced and they call us up and they know exactly what they want they know exactly now we don't really get into a customization because we know what we've got works but some guys are like hey i you know i want the grades to be 36 inches not 37 and a half or you know i want you know i'm only 510 so the doors i don't want them to you know i can't reach up to the top of the doors and they'd be seven foot tall um but mainly is what I like to do is Ashley will get with somebody uh, who runs our office, and she does a fantastic job. She will run people through kind of their needs. And some people are kicking tires. They want to know the prices of a 250 or 500 and a 1000 and they want to know what they can get themselves into. And a lot of times she will refocus the conversation, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Do you want to do pop-ups? Do you, do you have an idea? What do you want to do? Do you want to go to a brewery? Well, in a brewery situation, like I used to go to, to Sweetwater, and I went to Monday Night Brewery and Red Bricks, and I'd cook for 2,000 people. You know, I had no idea that on a Friday night at Sweetwater, 2,000 people were coming. And so you want to get that information because the last thing you want to do is get a 250. They spend their hard-earned money. They take it back, and they call you back, which we've had this happen is, is why we're here. They call us back a month later. Hey, man, this pit's way too small. You know, I can't, I mean, I'm not even, I can't even, I can't even get close to capacity. And that's kind of what we do is we walk them through on the business end. And we try to pair them with pit masters and guys down in Texas. We've got a group of guys that have been taught and learned how to cook great barbecue. And uh, a lot of them are in the top 10 of the Texas monthly top 50 and not associated to our business, but we just introduce them and say, hey, here's you know, Brendan Lamb, or here's a Dylan Taylor, or here's, you know, these guys that really can cook, and they have a great um, savvy approach to cooking, and go out and, you know, hire them to maybe show you some pointers and to show you some fire management, and that's been a huge help. As far as the Texas barbecue scene goes, uh, those guys have started, we've got them taken in Portland and California and Norfolk, Virginia, and, you know, all over the place. So that's kind of what we do, and as far as you know, getting involved in, in, in the design of it. We really, you know, we've had people call us. I've turned down tons of pits. Hey, can you build me a reverse flow? Can you build me a, you know, one with four racks? And, you know, I try to stay where I know that they're not going to call me or better yet. I try to stay where they're not going to sit in front of somebody and say, man, this pit's horrible. And, um, the thing I know is this pit that we're building right now in the right hands can turn out James Beard award-winning food. It can turn out, I mean, Aaron Franklin, it can turn out uh, whatever the pit master can, can do. And that is kind of where I'm hanging the hat. And I'm also, uh, it's been tough, but I'm, I'm sticking to the prices that, you know, I know people can afford to get into. Um, uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to charge 30, 40, even 50% more than we do. But uh, I, was committed to going into this thing from day one. Um, 
you know, I, I would eventually like to pay myself, but at the same time, I know that the commitment I have to the barbecue scene is is greater than, you know, me trying to get rich on jacking the price of a, a pit up. They're hard to do. They're hard. And you asked me a question earlier about what I learned. The first two years of, of pit building, uh, Chris Wynn will tell you, I mean, it's brutal. Sometimes it's like, you know, being in a 12-round fight on a Friday night and having to come back in there on Saturday is like, you know, it takes, you know, do you really want to do this? And uh, we've, we've hired some guys slowly over the course of a couple of years, and we bring them in there, and we say, don't even tell us you want to be here for at least at least six months. Just get a hang of what's going on. And the guys that are there, they love barbecue. They love what we're doing, and it, it is hard work. But as far as opening a restaurant or doing a pop-up or catering, um, it's blowing up across the whole globe, but it's definitely the United States. Is just really, it's a scene that man. I'm glad to be a part of. It's just, it's an implosion, and you know, it's like I guess anything. You know, you've probably had all these different uh, categories of food do the same thing over the history, and you know, it's done it with pizza. Everybody wants Chicago style pizza. Well, it litters the country with Chicago style pizza, and they're still the ones that are doing excellent are still thriving. Still, yeah. And same thing with barbecue. Um, the guys that are wanting to get into it for money and don't have the passion to be up at three o'clock in the morning and trimming briskets, you know, late at night and all that, you know, it, it that's, that's a hard conversation. They need to look in the mirror and have, but the ones that are, you know, maybe want an opportunity to, you know, leave out of a restaurant. Like we've got a guy that, you know, sold food for Cisco and went out and started his own operation and he's killing it. I mean, he's not only killing it monetarily, He's putting out great product, and and that's kind of like, you know, that's how I got in the music business. I, I wanted to be a songwriter. I sucked so bad that I ended up becoming an audio engineer, and the first time somebody goes, that sounds good, then you're like, oh, I'm an audio engineer. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I fell into that career, and that's what happens. In, in the, I'm, we're seeing it. I've got a guy in Southern California, a military guy, um, I'm so proud to watch him, not because he's got our pit. I'm just, I know his story and how he got into that pit and his pop-up and, you know, he posts pictures of his line and I'm like going, he's, he's killing it. He's making great food. And, you know, four months ago, he's like, I don't even know where I'm going to get my wood. And, and those are the kind of things that I think that were exciting. And, you know, I, I'm able to get up at the crack of dawn and go chase this, this uh, piece of steel that sometimes when you cut her open, she's not going to, she's going to warp out and you've got to totally start all over. And it's just, it's tough, but we love it. I clean pits all day today. <laughs> that sounds In, so much Inside fun. pits and yell, yeah, I mean, for 10 hours, I'm <laughs> scrubbing. Yep, that, it, you got to love it. It's a passion. We, we thank you for doing it. I want to yeah. say thank you for coming on the show, hanging out yeah. with us and chatting barbecue, because uh, that's what we do here. Um, oh, yeah. If you can do me a favor, can you tell everyone where they can find you and follow your journey on the internet? Yeah. On Instagram, you can follow us at Primitive Pits. That is the pit company that builds commercial pits out of the uh, refurbished or repurposed liquid propane tanks. And then uh, we have a new company that's starting up backyard series called workhorse pits 
and it will start up here in the summer before uh, probably middle June. And we have a really killer fire pit. It's going to be extremely popular. It's big. It's solid steel. And then we have three backyard models. And they're pipe-based. They're powder-coated. And uh, we're really going to push those to be a really low price point. They're solid steel. You will be able to cook on them, I guarantee you. Uh, some of the guys who've cooked on these already have said, hey, these things, they're really they're responsive. They cook and well, then, uh, which is great. And then Qtorals is kind of my – when I have time, um, Qtorals is at Qtorals uh, on Instagram. It's also uh, on YouTube. It's at Qtorals, uh, youtube.com. Just search Qtorals, and that's my video yeah. blog. I try to make one whenever I can, and I've got like um, a couple here that are done, probably five or six that are done, and – I just need to finish editing them, but I really love doing that, and I appreciate you letting me shout out to that. Qtorals is kind of a a project that I, I would probably continue to do, no matter how popular or not popular our pits are. Primitive pits right now is we're backed up. We have two lists. Non rush list is backed up to 2020, and our rush list, which is we have two lists because some people need a smoker now, and it's backed up till September. And I, I'm disappointed because I have said we won't be backed up ever past eight weeks, but we have been – we got guys calling us every day. Want, I want three 1,000s. I want four 1,000s. We've got them going all over the country, Detroit, Portland. Uh, we've got four barbecue operations in, in the state of Oregon that have ordered pits from us. So we feel like that that's a scene that is really growing. It's kind of yeah blossoming. So, but yeah, I mean, that's where you can find us. Primitive Pits. Um, I like to take credit for some of the Instagram stuff that happens on there, but uh, Ashley's very funny and she's very um, aesthetic eye. And another guy who works for us, uh, uh, Burrito, he's really good. He's, he's kind of always sends me pictures. He's like, what do you think of this? I'm like, man, I love it, man. How'd you do that? And it's, it's partly his, him and Ashley doing that, but, uh, I'm on there. I'm commenting all the time. Before we started this deal here, I was all over the place giving people, you know, my feedback and uh, answering questions. And, and uh, you know, at Workhorse Pits is also. We haven't posted any content up there yet, but it's coming. And, it's uh, coming. Make sure you guys check it out. So I, I, I usually like to uh, end the podcast in this way. Um if you could go back to the beginning of your barbecue career, knowing what you know now, what are three tips you would give yourself? <laughs> They're all the same tip. <laughs> smoke a brisket, smoke a brisket, smoke a brisket. Now, I'm, I guess I could have more. But if I would have known that a kid I played basketball with, Brennan Coleman, his dad had all the kids on the basketball team over. And we did the very first cook that I experienced – a whole hog cook. And I went a good six, seven, eight, nine, let's see, that's 86, 80. I went almost 10 years. And I thought, that's it. I've just hit the pinnacle barbecue. But when I had Texas style brisket, that's when I got on the path. And I can remember it's July 1993. John Buchanan was the man who cooked it. I would experiment. And um, that's what I would say to my. 19 year old self is is uh if you just only smoke pork butt go try brisket if you only smoke 
pork ribs, try beef ribs, try sausage. And, you know, you got different regions around the country that have different taste profiles. And yep. now I'm learning a lot about Pennsylvania because there's a guy up there buying a pit and he's, you know, there's just a whole scene up there that's, that's not Texas. But I guess the second thing would be definitely uh, would have experimented a little bit more early with just wood. I've been, you know, since campfires, I've been uh, completely, you know, captivated by fire. I'm um, with you. I think we share that passion. And, and that's, I would have stayed there. And then I guess the third thing is, um, honestly, I look back at what I knew then to now. And the one thing about barbecue is that I would have done a lot more outside of just barbecue, which I'm doing now. And that is live fire cooking on uh, open top flame and steaks and, and, and fish on alder wood and, and just playing around with just, uh, you know, we built uh, two years ago a yakitori grill. And I thought, oh, I'm going to start bending pipe and putting out a yakitori grill. But um, it's just, those are the three things. I mean, really the brisket was the big, that was the big, I mean, I was like this, no brisket. I don't want brisket. Brisket's not barbecue. I remember telling John Buchanan and his, his nephew, Joe, who's my childhood friend, brisket. No, I don't want brisket. And uh, who? You were wrong. <laughs> that's like that's like my kids, man. My kids look at that. You know, I have a son that looks at brisket and he goes, ah, I don't want brisket. And then I've got an older son. He's like, you are making a mistake. Yeah. You're gonna look. You're gonna look back and it's like your first taco. You're gonna say, what in the world? And, you know, this is. Yep. This is it? Yep, man. So yeah, well, that's. I want to say thank you so much for coming on our show. Guys, make sure you go follow all of his accounts. Go go check out that YouTube channel. Please keep doing the YouTube channel. Like I said, man, I'm in love with it. It's fantastic. I appreciate uh, it. You got at least one viewer. I know you got a lot, but <laughs> you got I, one. Honestly, I, I sincerely say this. I don't do it for, you know, I want to have a million subscribers. I do it because I enjoy doing it. The reward is when my wife goes, oh, it's up to 5,000 views. And I'm like, what, Who, what 5,000 people, uh, you know, it's just me. Have... I just sit there. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid to go. I'm afraid, you know, one of my whole things is like, if I go back and watch one, I, I may never put another one up. That, oh, that I get you. The, I get you. I get to watch it editing on this screen here. Uh-huh. And, and I, I, but I watch it in just little clips. And, and then if I want to put a camera right in front of me while I'm editing it, because I'm always doing this, I'm like God, idiot! Shut, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how I am. I'm like putting it together, and like I hate everything I just did. But yeah. I, I force myself to put it out because I'm like, I just spent a lot of time. <laughs> do it, do it. I saw you know you're cooking stuff, and and see you're brave because you're going into the kitchen. I've got ten videos. I've gone into the kitchen and I've yet to release them. I've even got one heckler in New Zealand or Australia. He's like, "Come on, bro! The only thing you've cooked in fifteen videos is biscuits." <laughs> <laughs> and and he's true. He's 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 got it right. Now I've done uh, at least three brisket cooks fully filmed. Um, you just haven't and, haven't released them yet, huh? Yeah, I just got to hit send. But yeah. I want him to have some sort of purpose to questions or things that I have, you know, I, I sometimes will say, huh, how do you do this? And I'll go make a video how to solve that problem. 
And Very Firebox, cool. you know, when you mentioned that right off the bat, that's that's a uh, that's a big one. Yeah, that was a really cool video. Uh, you guys should definitely go check that one out. That you learn a lot. There's a lot of great information in that video. You you definitely did a really really good job on breaking breaking all those all those things down really really well. And you kind of explained your theory opposed to the other theories, and I think that that's that was it was very very cool. Well, another thing is that I learned to keep notes. I don't know why, but I felt like notes were going to be a, a thing for me to memorize. You know, my memory's good, but I want to say, oh, I forgot I used this wood, and it's six months seasoned. And you know, I cooked with cherry once, and I wrote notes about cherry and. And um, I was like, I'll never use cherry again. It was really good, but it's a little bit too much. And then I went back to the drawing board and I threw some cherry into a brisket cook just a little bit. And and I was like, you know, I pulled out my notes and I'm not supposed to be using cherry, but I threw in probably two hours worth of cherry and I had really good results. And that's become a thing now. And I've got cherry and mesquite, post oak, white oak. And my go-to now as bad as I want to be like Texas style, just straight up post oak, I'm throwing post oak in there. And then I'm throwing like about hour number three, somewhere in that coloring and texture and that trying to get a bark, I'm throwing two hours of cherry in there. And all because it's of nothing. And it's working. Yeah. Man. That is well, fantastic. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's working for my family, but if I have guests over, they may have a different opinion. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Feed them. If you feed them, they'll they'll tell you the truth. Sometimes. That's right. Well, you you keep up the good work on your channel. Uh, I'm gonna check out some of your cook video stuff. So awesome. I can learn, Thank you. So I can learn how to to do it better myself. And honestly, if you see me put up a cook cook uh, video, don't hit the dislike button, but just once. <laughs> well, man, thank no, it's you good. So much. I, I can cook. I don't want to. I don't want to throw myself under the bus. I can cook. But oh no, just, I believe you can cook. It's just um, it, it, I think it's the it's the uh, when we put out those kind of videos, it's the uh, hate it. I, I hate seeing myself on the video. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just like you. I just, I just it's, hate it. it's a good exercise. I'm um, you know I can honestly say that the hardest part that I had to do is have a conversation with myself and say, who do I, you know, who am I trying to impress? If that's it, nobody. I want to put the video up and I want it to be informative and I have to just not care. I know some artists and the big thing that they have, everybody's like, Oh, he's such an ego. No, he just, he's into the craft. He wants to be, uh, doing what he wants to be doing and he shuts the outside noise out. Yeah. And that's, that's, I encourage you to do that. Anybody who's doing a YouTube channel, just completely do it. Yeah. Just block it out and don't watch it. Once you hit, upload then don't ever watch it <laughs> don't ever watch it again no, it's good yeah. it just lives yeah. there it's fine just just let yeah. it live there <laughs> i i respond to the comments with volume off and the video above me so i'll do oh. it on my phone where i have the volume off and i'll just go and respond because if i hear it even start i'm like you know skin crawling i'm, I'm like i'm all, like when i respond to comments i'm like hitting the pause button as fast as possible <laughs> let me ask you quite let me ask you a question who's your favorite youtuber Barbecue or not? Uh, I don't know. It's a great question. You ever watch the, T. Roy Cooks? I've I've watched T. Roy Cooks. Um, I really like Malcolm's How to Barbecue, right? 
Yeah. I like oh, his yeah. videos. I, I like Malcolm's uh, channel a lot. I wish I could go over to Malcolm's place and we could throw a couple logs in a fire and have a, I guy can cook. Yeah. Uh, he makes he makes things seem too easy for me. <laughs> when I, I watch his videos and I've been like, brother, it ain't that easy. And I just throw it. Yeah, this is what I like to do, and yeah, this is what you like to do. That you should, you should see me doing that. But, I like um, that. Um, I also like DJ Barbecue. Right. I'm not familiar with. Uh, he's he's out of the UK, and he used to put some pretty cool grilling videos together, and I really liked those. Just because I like. Oh his yeah, attitude. I am. Fr- I, I am familiar. I am familiar with him. I have. It's been a while since I've. Yeah, he he's just kind of a cool dude. So I enjoyed his videos. Um. I, I think those are my top three right now. Yeah, I I used to watch um, um, the I, I'm bad with the names of channels, but the old guys that have a really popular channel, um, Barbecue Pit Boys. Yeah, the Barbecue Pit Boys. Yeah, um, they got a good channel too. They got a good channel, and it's always so. It kind of reminds me of that uh, the uh, the Gator Hunter show. <laughs> <laughs> those guys always it always seems like it's kind of that kind of vibe but they cook so i've seen the guy cook a hamburger on there it was amazing over a little just fire and you know he cut everything up and i was like man i'm gonna make that and i actually wrote all everything down i was like i'm gonna make that but no i i like uh watching like i said i just found the mad barbecue scientist or sorry if i'm mutilating his name and i, I watched some of his videos like this guy is really smart he came from the amish country which uh, Western Kentucky, and then ended up in California, and, and um, he's got a he's got a fat stack smoker. He's got a couple other smokers, and he's he's very informative. I bet he's I wouldn't be surprised if one day he didn't open up a restaurant. Knows what he's doing, or at least yeah. plays plays it on YouTube. He knows. I mean, it seems like everything <laughs> everything I see on his techniques, and I just found him on Sunday because I I saw a podcast and he was mentioned. I was like, oh, I'll check him out. And I made my wife listen to it. And, and uh, she's like, yeah, I like this guy. He speaks better than you. <laughs> he does a lot better than you do, honey. You're like, thanks, yeah. thanks a lot, babe. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, one of the things I try to not to do is on the video side is I try to go in with an idea of what I want to do and take like one or two takes. That's it. Um, on anything yeah. that's sitting in front of the desk, um, I don't allow myself a second take. I just hit it and go and run. And, um, and, and, you know, if I mess up, then I can, you know, cut something out. But really, I'm just, I'm just, I've got an idea of what I want to do. And I want to come up with a, a delivery of, you know, like I've done them where the biscuit test, that's a really good test. That's computational fluid dynamics in its most uh, primitive form is yeah. putting biscuits on your smoker. You, it, it will tell you, yeah. you know, how your, your unit's cooking, so. But anyway, man, keep it up, and uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm glad we got yeah, to man. connect. Absolutely. Let's keep in touch, and we, we will chat soon. Yeah, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.